0: Hello, my lovely and wonderful and encouraging and supportive podcast listeners. I'm coming to you today with two purposes. Number one, I want to tell you about a free professional development opportunity that's coming up in a couple of weeks here, where yours truly has created a presentation all about creating assessment for student success. And two, because of that presentation coming up, I want to give you three quick and simple tips and ideas for you to, I don't want to say chew on, but think about, um, mull over, and maybe discuss with some of your fellow colleagues or with me um, before that presentation goes live and then when you can watch the presentation and you can hear more about it and you can um, see what you think and maybe, maybe it'll make a big difference to you. It's taken me about three years to get where I am and to get solidified in the views and thoughts I have on assessment, and not that those won't ever change or modify as I learn new information and learn to do better, but where I'm at right now, I find that my students are successful and I feel that these assessments are extremely equitable so that all students can succeed regardless of their aptitude or whether or not they feel like they're quote unquote good in school. So if this is something that you want for your students as well, Please continue listening on as I give you some tips and some ideas and some thoughts for you to think about. But before I jump into that, I do want to tell you about this year's World Language Teacher Summit. So I've participated and done presentations for the World Language Teacher Summit the last couple of years. And what's really great about this opportunity is that it is free. No catch, free. However, because it is free, The presentations are only available for 48 hours once they go live. So my presentation, all about creating assessment for student success, will be going live on October 21st. And once it goes live, you'll have 48 hours to watch it totally for free. And after that, if you have too much on your plate or you are not sure that you're gonna have time to watch them, you can actually upgrade to an all-access pass that will give you access to my presentation and all the goodies along with it, as well as the over 30 other incredible world language teacher presentations for forever, as long as the internet and the website holds up. So I'm going to, in my, in my description of this episode, I'm going to link to the website where you can register. Um, this link is specific to me, and it's a really easy and awesome way for you to support me as my podcast listener to just go ahead and register for this um, summit for free through my link. You're not going to have any surprise charges or anything like that. Um, however, you will have the opportunity to to register to view my presentation um, And if you were to choose to upgrade to something paid, At all, I might receive a portion of those profits as well as a thank you for presenting and for spreading the word about this amazing professional development opportunity. So let me tell you a few tips that I have for creating assessment for student success. These are things that I do touch on in my presentation, but I also go much more in depth in my presentation Let me just give you an overview of all the things that I talk about. So here's a simple summary of what I share. Um, I share some of my ideas for putting together assessments that are simple and straightforward, and that give you insight into your students' language performance levels, um, while at the same time allowing your students to feel successful. I take some time to go over some key sections of the ACTFL performance descriptors. I also provide examples of assessments that I actually have given to my students, as well as links to my video presentation or my video demonstrations of giving the assessments to real students. I also have a new blog post out on this exact same topic too that you might want to check out um, if you're more of a visual learner instead of an auditory learner. And so. The things that I cover in my presentation are all about different assessment considerations. So obviously every department and every school is gonna have different things they need to take into consideration when assessing, so I touch on that. I talk about what you're really really assessing of students because sometimes we think that we're assessing their Spanish and we're really assessing their ability to organize or to memorize or to find time at home when they work and take care of their siblings to do things for our class. I also give you um, simple assessment examples for all modes of presentation, so reading, listening, writing, and speaking. Um, I give you information on how to kind of align that with your instruction, what to include in those assessments, and also some tips for grading the assessments to keep your lives easier and simpler. So here goes nothing. Here are my tips that I have for you today. Think about them. Send me a message on my Facebook or on my Instagram at Preaching to Acquire, and let me know what you think if you have questions, especially after you check out my free presentation for the World Language Teacher Summit. So tip number one, focus on what aligns with the ACTFL and or your state standards. So a lot of state standards, I haven't looked into all of them, but I know for Wisconsin, Wisconsin has adopted state standards that very, very, very much aligned with the ACTFL standards. And when you really dig into them, like I do in this presentation, I literally open the documents from ACTFL and we'd like look at some of these examples together. You can tell that the performance descriptors and what ACTFL wants from our students is to focus on interpreting the target language and also expressing meaning in the target language. They're not focusing on perfect grammar or spelling or vocabulary memorization. They're focusing on the message that students can understand or that they can communicate. And this includes needing, there's actually a part in the standards where it talks about if you're grading a student's writing, um, needing a sympathetic, or even when they're speaking, needing a sympathetic reader to understand it. Meaning someone who's used to reading student work or the work of language learners that, you know, students, the work they produce very early on, while they are still emerging learners and emerging in their performance, they may not be able to be understood or communicate with native speakers necessarily. And that's totally normal because language acquisition is messy and it takes time. So tip number one, focus on the standards, which really aligns with their interpretation and expression of the target language. Tip number two is focusing on what students can control in their assessments. Now this gets like hairy and I would love to continue to discuss these things with people. I seriously adore talking about assessment. Hashtag language teacher nerd. Um, But students really can't control how fast they acquire a new language. If they're only getting input from the teacher in class, unless they're seeking that input out, or you're requiring them to get input outside of class, which I would argue is not equitable. But that can be a conversation for another time if we talk about homework. Um, unless they're getting additional input somewhere else, the input is really what's going to drive their acquisition. So keep that in mind that they can't they can't like go into their brains and be like acquire this faster unless they are reading or listening to more Spanish. They also can't control their background knowledge or prior knowledge, whether that's in the target language or even in their first language or the common language at the school. So to be more specific about this, I teach fifth through eighth graders, and this year there are many students in my sixth grade class that can't read well in English in their first language. They can't write well in English in their first language. So when I'm asking them to do those things in Spanish, those skills aren't going to transfer because they don't have them. And that's nothing wrong with the kids. That's just maybe a fault of the system, maybe a fault of the instruction that we've had over the last couple years. Um, COVID, hello, global pandemic, that's impacted a lot, right? So I need to meet students where they're at I need to scaffold the assessments for them, and I need to give them input with complete sentences and paragraphs before they're going to be able to output those things. So I know that when I used to teach before um, having an emphasis on comprehensible input, and I really had a lot of emphasis on grammar and vocabulary instead, I would ask students on the chapter with me gusta and le gusta, I would ask them to write a paragraph about their likes and dislikes, and they would freak out like full on panic. And I didn't understand it because I had taught them all these phrases and these verbs and all these words that they needed to use to put together sentences. But I had never actually modeled what paragraphs talking about their likes and dislikes looked like. And to now I think back on it and I'm like, duh, it makes so much sense that they need to see it, that they need to read it, that they need to hear it in order for them to be able to produce that themselves naturally, because what are we going for? Do we want them to have a list of words in their heads and a filing cabinet full of grammar conjugations that they have to dig through every time they wanna speak or write in the target language? Hello, I'm speaking from experience. That's how my brain still works sometimes. And I still get super self-conscious when I'm trying to speak in Spanish, even in front of my students. And I feel really embarrassed knowing that there's hundreds of teachers, maybe thousands of teachers out there that have seen me speak my not up to par, in my opinion, Spanish in front of my students. But guess what? It's what my students need. I can make it comprehensible to them. My accent is not the best you know, I'm not a native speaker. I'm not a heritage speaker of the language. So I digress. Anyway, I started going on a rant there. Sorry, y'all. But the students need to see and read and listen to these, these paragraphs and these sentences in the target language if you ever want them to be able to output them on their own. So that's not something they can really control on their own, that prior knowledge. And even if you have students coming to you from a different level, so let's say you teach level two, but the level one teacher teaches in a different way, or maybe like some students had you for level one and some students had, you know, the other teacher for level one. You c- you can't penalize the students who didn't have you for not knowing the things that you gave as input because they couldn't control that, right? So like especially early on in the year. You got to start from the ground up. You got to scaffold these assessments and make sure you're assessing them on the things that they can control. They also can't control the amount of time that they can put in outside of school. I know some people would push back on that and say, yes, they can, but I can tell you because I know my kids so well that some of them have some say over their time outside of school and some of them don't. Some of them whose parents work second or third shift, whose are single parent homes. Some of them have to take care of their younger twin siblings at home and make sure that they get their homework done, that they get fed, and that they brush their teeth and get to bed on time before they go up to the attic where they sleep where it's super hot or super cold and they're trying to get their own homework done and then they don't get a lot of sleep and then they come to school the next day tired drinking coffee and then it starts all over again. I want that kid to know that they are loved, they are capable, and they can be successful in my class, and it has nothing to do with what their life circumstances give to them outside of my classroom. I can't control that, they can't control that. Are there students that have homes where they're able to have free time or they're able to dedicate it to doing extra input or doing memorization and things like that? Yes. And those things aren't bad, but what I'm saying is that you wanna assess them on the things that you know all of your students, regardless of their background and their aptitude, are gonna be able to be successful on because if they have learned one language, which I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, you know what they say about assuming, but I'm assuming that your students have learned one language if they're in your classroom, if they can learn one language, they can learn more. We just have to feed the brain what it needs in order for that to happen. But again, I digress. So what should you focus on? What they can control. So here's just a couple things. Most of the time they can control their effort. So if I'm telling students you need to be writing in Spanish and not in English, and you can't say a phrase if you can't think of it in Spanish in your head first, they can control that effort. Now, The parameters that I put in place to then grade that writing, knowing that they might be struggling to find those words in their brain, that's under my control and I can make that successful for them. That's what I'm talking about when I'm creating these assessments. So you're creating it in a way where everyone can be successful, successful, but those students that crave more and want more and have those abilities and that desire and that drive to do more have that opportunity as well. So again, they can control their effort. They can also most of the time include, um, like control their inclusion or exclusion of required elements. So for example, my students today just took their checkpoint assessments, like a mini little check-in partway through our unit, on describing settings. And as they were writing, for example, I told them that they needed to include at least four descriptions of that place for sensory details, including things like weather or what you could see or the colors of things or the size of things and all of that. Let me just tell you the, here's the thing, because I was looking at their assessments today. I had one student who's brand new to Spanish this year coming into seventh grade in a building where kids get Spanish kindergarten through eighth grade. And because of the parameters of this rubric, the rubric that Tina Hargaden has written for her Stepping Stones Curricular Framework, the requirements were, number one, they needed to write three or more sentences in order to get 100%. They needed to write three or more sentences to include, or about one topic. So about a picture that I showed them to describe that setting. And then the other parameter was they needed to include at least four sensory details describing that picture. So I had one student write two sentences, but managed to include three sensory details in all those students. It literally said, um, there is a blue lake. It is cold. And then I had another student who's been at the school all the years who loves and soaks up the languages and a huge reader and all these things, right? He wrote like, 11 sentences, including connecting words and transition words and lots of rich details. But yet, both of these students were able to be successful. Did that first student get a 100%? No, but they did get a 90%. They still got a score that they could be proud of knowing they had literally only had 10 classes of Spanish. And the other student, yes, he was able to get a 100% and feel proud of what he did too. So it's a perfect example of both ends of the spectrum being able to feel success and being able to see those easy steps for growth, right? Which means me, to my next thing that they can control, they can control setting a language goal, self-assessing and self-reflecting on that. So maybe the student who only wrote two sentences and included three details Maybe I have her look at her, her writing that she created. She already self-assessed it, and she coded her own work, so she knew exactly what score she got. Maybe her goal is next time to write three sentences, right? That's a manageable goal. That is something that she can control working on and that she can try to do better next time. So, again, focusing on what students can control is going to be a huge help when you are assessing them. My third tip is focusing on keeping it simple. Assessments don't need to be super complicated. I'm just going to give you one example for like a reading assessment. And again, in my presentation that you can register for for free, um, the link will be in the description of this episode. It'll be shared on my Preaching to Acquire Facebook page and my Instagram and all the places. Um, I give all the literally examples of every mode of communication and of assessing. But for reading, I'll use the example I used today, we're describing settings. I knew that my goal was when they read a paragraph that described a setting, I wanted them to be able to answer the questions, what is it? Where is it? When is it? And also pull out five sensory details about that place. So as I wrote the assessment, I made sure that I had that rubric in front of me so that I could include all of those things and a few extras, right? Because not every kid's going to get every word, and that's cool. I made sure to include all those things when I typed it up. I ended up with a paragraph of about six, seven sentences. And it aligned with the instruction that we've been doing for the last ten days in class. Because I made sure to backwards plan it, which is also really important. It aligns with the standards and aligns with your instruction. And then I give that to students and I have them translate it into English. I also tell them what specifically they're going to be graded on so that they can control looking for those items and prioritizing finding those. So the students had access to me saying, Your goals are to find, you know, th- what is this picture? Where is it? And when is it? As, long, as well as five sensory details to describe it. So I literally gave them like seven sentences in Spanish. They translated it straight into English. My rule is always translate as much as you can. If you don't know a word, draw a line, leave a blank space for it, skip it and keep going with what you do know. Then come back and reread it. Maybe you'll be able to fill in those blanks. Maybe you won't. But this provides me with super valuable feedback as a teacher because I can easily look at that assessment and you know, you know the kids that you're going to want spot to spot look at, right? You know the kids that maybe are insecure or aren't sharing as much or are new to your program or you've got a high flyer. So maybe I pull three or four kids' papers out and I look at what did they leave blank, what didn't they get, and then that can inform me to make better instructional choices moving forward. If they missed any major high-frequency things that I know are going to continue to come up, I may do one extra lesson giving them extra input on that, knowing that still can't control the rate at which the brain acquires those things, but if I give them more input and more exposure to them, they've got a better chance at having that happen. So then you say, okay, well, Caitlin, that sounds great. I just do like this simple work up front to prepare the assessments, but then that means I need to read 150 Wait, 200. I have 200 students. I need to read 207 sentence paragraphs. That's 1,400 sentences in Spanish. I hope I did that math right. If I didn't, forgive me, it's late and I'm tired. That means I need to read 1,400 sentences in Spanish and grade them. Are you kidding me? That's going to take 40 years. I'm going to be retired by the time I finish those. Well, friends... This is my bonus tip for you. This is where you have the students do the work. Number one, if you make the parameters very clear from the beginning for what they need to do in order to be successful on that assessment and to get the grade that they want, and you then align your instruction with those parameters, so you know you're filling up all their beautiful brains with all this rich language to acquire it so that it doesn't feel like work. Well, you know, their brains are going to be tired, but they're not like memorizing or doing formulas or doing 48 practice pages of things. Um, The students I have found in my experience, and it took a while for us to get here, right? I've been teaching this way for four or five years now. So I feel good about it, and the students really don't know anything different. So I apologize if you can hear my cat hissing in the background. Um, So my students don't feel a need to cheat when they are doing their self-coding and self-assessment. I trust them. Does that mean that I don't ever look through their papers or look at what they wrote or spot-check things here and there? of course I do those things too, right? But I will literally have them today. And you can see it in the video I've linked in my newest blog my blog post, preachingtoacquire.blogspot.com, all about creating the same topic, because I'm super passionate about it. You can see in the YouTube video that I linked of my checkpoint assessment with my eighth graders, that I specifically tell them when they come into the room, you're going to need a pencil, to complete your assessments. And you are going to need two different colored writing utensils in addition to your pencil. Ideally, this would be a pencil and possibly two highlighters, two flare pens, two colored pencils, it doesn't matter. So that when we go through at the end, after they take the assessment and self-code, number one, they're writing in something different, right? They're not using pencil. I can see them in front of me because thank goodness we are not virtual currently. And I can see that they have picked up and you could have them all use the same two colors if you really wanted to. So if you really wanted your students to be um, self-coding like pros, you could have them all use um, purple and green or whatever two colors are really common, yellow and orange. And I literally have them go, okay, In your translation of the reading passage, where you answered what it is, where you said, oh, it's a city, please highlight that or circle that in blue. Where you said when it was, oh, it's the nighttime, highlight or circle that in blue. Where you said, where it is, oh, it's in Florida, highlight and circle that in blue. Hey, if you had all three of those description main idea questions, the what, the where, and the when, on your rubric that's on the same page as the reading, it's all in one place, friends, one packet, that's it, highlight the section for 100%. If you had two of those items circled, highlight the section for 90%. Have them fill out their own rubrics. And then when you go to the next row of the rubric, switch colors. So the first row was answering those three questions. The second row was the five descriptions they needed to include. So we went through the reading and we listed off all the possible descriptions and they highlighted or circled them in yellow. And I said, count them up. If you had five or more, go to that rubric and circle that or highlight that 100% section. If you had at least four, or if you had four of them, 90% and so on and so forth. And so then literally they pass it back to me. Number one, there's no hurry in me getting it back to them because they already know how they did. Number two, I don't fail them. If they don't meet a certain level of requirements in the rubric, they need to redo it. Um, And then they know that they're going to have to do that because they've just looked at it on their own. And number three, all you got to do is look at the rubrics and input the scores. It takes me ten minutes to go through a class and put in a reading, a listening, and a writing checkpoint grade for all of them, for each class. Ten minutes per class. Not 1,400 sentences of Spanish that I was reading. Ten minutes per class. And then, once you have had a chance to do that, if you want to have your students do some reflection and goal setting and things like that, I usually save those for more of our summative assessments. Um, But you could have them do that and have them reflect on things like you know, what What things did we do in class that helped me understand more? What things did we do in class that helped me read more? Um, when I look at my writing, you know, these are the types of things I see. Words, phrases, sentences, paragraphs, etc. That means that I'm at approximately this performance level based on the actual performance descriptors. In order to, you know... Write more next time, or to write complete sentences. This and there. This is what I'm going to. This is what I'm going to do, or listen for in class, or try to read more of, and so on and so forth. So you could have them reflect and set those goals. Um, but I really, really just want to encourage you to focus on creating assessments for student success, focusing on what they can control, focusing on their interpretation and expression of the target language. Align it to the standards, not your textbook. Align it to the standards and align your instruction to the assessment. Make those parameters clear and visible so students exactly know what they need to shoot for in order to get the scores that they're hoping to get. Because I don't know about you guys, but our school at least is a is a grades-based school. A lot of our, school, our students and families are grades-driven. If you have standards-based grading, obviously put those standards out there so they know what to shoot for and where to meet to be on, on target and to try to hit that next level. But the the more transparent and simple that we can be about our assessments, the better for everyone. So again, if you want to hear more on this topic or more see more examples, get access to my slides where I have linked up example assessments as well as um video demonstrations of me teaching in my classroom. Please make sure that you check out the link in this description or you can visit my link tree. Um, the address for that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E slash preaching to acquire. You can check out my Preaching to Acquire Facebook page, my preaching to acquire Instagram. I'm gonna have this information everywhere. And it would really be um awesome if you would register using my link. That way I know um I know and the World Language Teacher Summit folks will know that I sent you there um, and that that we're doing a lot of awesome things to create equitable and successful classrooms for our students together. So thanks for listening. I hope you found this helpful. And give it a shot. Let me know what you think. Mull these things over. Check out my presentation on October 21st and I can't wait to continue the conversation.